Welcome to our continuing 2019 educational webinar series. I am Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have William J. McBurrow, an information assurance and cybersecurity leader, researcher, educator, and entrepreneur with an extensive background managing, designing, and implementing medium and large enterprise physical and information technology security solutions and programs with us today. Mr. McBurrow is a co-founder and chief security advisor at McGlobal Tech, a Washington DC based information security consulting firm helping clients protect their brand, data, and clients from cybersecurity threats and data breaches. For more than 20 years, Mr. McBurrow has demonstrated success as a security administrator, engineer, architect, consultant, manager, and practice leader developing cost-effective solutions to enable and support strategic and operational goals of client organizations in areas of enterprise information security risk management, IT governance, security organization development and management, and government information assurance and compliance. His experience spans the spectrum from small e-commerce startups to multi-campus state and federal government agencies to global financial sector organizations. Mr. McBurrow has served on the faculty of various universities for the last 11 years, including University of Maryland College, uh, University College, EC Council University, George Mason University, and Northern Virginia Community College, where he has conducted research and taught graduate and undergraduate courses relating to cybersecurity, cybercrime, cyberterrorism, and information security and assurance. Mr. McBurrow is a certified information systems security professional, certified information systems auditor, certified in risk information system control, and certified ethical hacker. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There is no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available with a button on the side panel of your screen. So William, a warm welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Catherine. I'm very happy to be here. Um, you know, at, at MC Global Tech, we, we work in a wide variety of industries. Uh, but what we've seen across the board uh, over the years is that the healthcare industry is the most targeted industry from a health, I mean, from a cyber security and cyber threat um, in a perspective, which is why we have one of, as one of our primary focus areas, you know, working with healthcare providers, working with health plans, working with business associates, 
for the purposes of you know protecting PHI. So today, I'm going to talk about some best practices for implementing PHI security. So Catherine has been so kind to read my um, apparently over lengthy bio. Uh, it doesn't seem that long when you're writing it, but when you hear it, it's, it's something else entirely. Uh, so I'm not going to bore you, you know, with the details there. She's already covered that. But and as as the chief security advisor here at MC Global Tech, I my my job is to advise our clients in on you know protecting their data, protecting the information of the clients. Uh, when we are working in the healthcare space, my job is to advise our clients on how to better protect PHI, both from a security and from a compliance perspective. So there are three primary um, topic areas that we're going to cover as part of this webinar. First, we're going to frame the healthcare security problem so that we're all starting from the same baseline. So we all understand what at, at broad levels, what the challenges are, uh, and we're all in, in agreement as to what needs to happen and why. <clears throat> Second, we're going to talk about some trends uh, that we've seen in the healthcare security space over the past year. Uh, we're going to look at the industry at, at large, and we're going we're gonna to look at what some of the IT and security professionals that are on the front lines have to say about what they've seen over the past year and what they're concerned about moving forward. And then we're going to dive into, you know, what are some of the top threats affecting healthcare organizations today, affecting PHI, and what are some best practices that can be deployed to combat these threats. So let's frame the healthcare security problem. I do, I've, I've done speaking engagements for many years. And one of the things that I always do when I'm speaking to businesses and speaking to organizations is I start to, to I, I, I try to start with an explanation of the differences between security and privacy, especially with the work that we do in the healthcare space. A lot of that work is driven by an organization's desire to attain and maintain HIPAA compliance, right? HIPAA compliance, high-tech compliance, et cetera. Uh, so that's usually why we are brought in. There is a distinct difference between security and compliance, right? Um, they are not mutually exclusive. However, they are not interchangeable. So compliance, for example, is conforming to a set of standards in a way that is actually verifiable and auditable. For example, HIPAA has a, has a security rule, HIPAA has a privacy rule, uh, and those rules have outlined specific safeguards that organizations must deploy to protect the security and the privacy of their organization. When we go in and do a compliance audit, we're saying, these are the requirements. We are going to verify that you have met these requirements. Consequently, though, when we come in and we are taking a risk-based security approach, we are focused on how is it that we can implement various types of controls, be they technical or non-technical controls, to protect the security and the privacy of, you know, in the case of healthcare providers, PHI, right? Um, these terms are not interchangeable, but as we will see throughout the course of this webinar, these terms are actually very much related. Second, this comes out from time to time when we're speaking, especially to small businesses, right? 
when we say hey, the healthcare industry is the most attacked industry today based on the research that we have seen, the question is why is that? Well, the common motive that we've seen is financial gain, right? In a recent report by a PwC, we saw that you know, a comprehensive health insurance record could be worth up to $1,000 on the black market, $1,000. A basic health insurance credential could be worth up to $20. Right. Compare that to a credit card record, which sometimes is worth at a dollar or less. Why are cyber criminals turning their attentions more to the healthcare industry than to previously top industries like the financial services? It's because of the financial gain. Thirdly, why should we really care about this? Because the cost to us, even as a nation, Right, the cost of the U.S. healthcare system is over six billion dollars a year. Over six billion dollars. That's money that can be used to improve healthcare, to lower costs. But that's what is costing us as a healthcare system on an annual basis. How do we get to six billion for each of these data breaches? Right, a single the cost to an organization for a, for a breach of a single healthcare record is over four hundred dollars. Right, so if you're a small provider and you have breached five hundred records, the cost to you is over two hundred thousand dollars. Right, so as an industry, we are faced with skyrocketing and increasing year over year of cost to us based on cyber attacks and data breaches. This also affects for a large percentage, small businesses in the healthcare space, small healthcare providers, doctor's offices, dentist's offices, right? physical therapy offices, one, two provider uh, 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 um, practices, right? 58% of the malware, that means the malicious software um, victims that we have seen are small businesses. Why does this matter? Because 60% of those businesses go out of business within six months. 60%. In, 20, uh, in 2017, the average cost of a cyber attack to a small to mid-sized business was $2.2 million. That means a lot of businesses were over that threshold, a lot of businesses were under that threshold, but on average, $2.2 million. And what is most frightening is that research has shown, and we see this in the clients that we um, work with, right? That 90% of small businesses do not use any data protection at all for their company and for their patients in the healthcare space, right? Or the customers. Sure, they're, they're, they're depending on security controls that are provided to them by the IT providers or by the EHR systems, right? But they themselves are not, do not have any specific security controls in place. They're under the illusion about that by having an IT company, I'm automatically inheriting magical security. We have found that to not be the case. So let's talk about some of these um, trends that we've seen in the past year. Before I get into those numbers, one of the things that I always try to stress is that when we talk about security incidents, 
when we talk about security trends, we are only talking about the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more that we don't know. There's a lot more security events that happen that are never detected, right? There are a lot more security events that are detected but never reported, right? So when we talk about these numbers, however large they are, we are only talking about the tip of the iceberg that we know about. With that as a caveat, in 2018, over 15 million patient records were breached. These are verifiable, reported, and investigated breaches. Okay? The top of the iceberg, not what under the water. We're talking about at least one healthcare data breach a year, I mean a day, and no one is immune. Right? Some of the largest breaches that we've seen have occurred at healthcare providers, right? smart practices, large hospitals, IT companies, software development companies, insurance providers, right? No one is immune, large or small. And we see that, incidentally, the trajectory over the past year of numbers of records that have been, that were breached in 2018 increased month over month. Right, between October to the December quarter, over 6 million records were breached. These numbers are staggering. These numbers are staggering. For example, the largest single breach that we learned about in 2018 affected close to 3 million patient records. This happened at Atrium Health of North, North um, Carolina. They were an IT systems uh, provider, i.e. a business associate, right, on the HIPAA. Right. The data that was compromised included uh, phone names, dates of birth, social security numbers, insurance policy numbers. After the investigation were, were, uh, was uh, performed, we learned that, yes, although PII, personal identifiable information, was compromised, no medical or financial records were affected. Yes. Some good news. However, if I'm trying to steal your identity, I don't need your x-ray files for that, right? The investigation also showed that the attacker had access to these systems and those records for a week. Now, seven days is better than 30 days, but it's not as good as being detected in real time or shortly thereafter. Now, the good news here is that the investigation showed that the hacker was unable to download or to remove the data. So though the data was compromised, or although the data was accessed, the data was not able to be removed. They could not sell it, or they could not transfer it to another party. So that's, that's good news. However, in many other breaches that we learned about last year, the data was downloaded, the data was removed. And oftentimes when we talk about these breaches, we are seeing some, some, some significant trends here, right? 58% of healthcare system breaches involve inside actors, right? Employees, contractors that have access to these facilities, access to these systems, access to the records, and either intentionally or accidentally, right? got access to that information. Oftentimes these attacks are 
you know, involves malware, involves malicious software, right? And 70% of those cases involve ransomware. We'll talk a little bit more about, uh, about you know, about both inside of threat and ransomware a little bit later. In instances where these systems were hacked, right, oftentimes this hacking occurs in databases where the data is stored, right? A lot of these breaches also involve paper documents, right? No hacking at all, right? There are some elements there that security control, security practices that have to be put in place to address these kinds of challenges, and we will talk about those a little bit later. A lot of these, these uh, occurrences found that these organizations had very little, if any, basic security controls in place. In cases of lost or stolen laptops, the data was not encrypted as required by law. Uh, but these are basic security uh, controls that we see are still plaguing us, and we're still plaguing us in 2018. Still a significant problem is breach of privacy, right? Inside is snooping, right? You have a case at um, VCU Healthcare where an employee inappropriately accessed patient data for 15 years. 15 years, it was not detected for 15 long years. When we say that healthcare providers are not doing enough, those are the kind of instances that we're, we're um, speaking about. So let's take a view from the front line, from the IT and security professionals that work for and within healthcare organizations. What are they seeing? What are they most concerned about? The Health Information and Management Systems um, Society is a nonprofit professional organization of health IT professionals and health IT entities that work within the industry. They did a cybersecurity survey last year soliciting feedback from over 200 healthcare information security professionals. The survey presented three major observations. One, all is not doom and gloom. There is improvements being made. Year over year, there's an increase in resources to address cybersecurity within organizations. More organizations have dedicated a defined budget allocation and personnel to address cybersecurity. Most of these organizations survey were conducting risk assessments annually. And most of these organizations have some actions, have some activities in place, some policies in place, some practices in place to address their suppliers. One caveat to this survey, this survey was of healthcare, IT, and security professionals within the industry. So by definition, right, we are, it's only surveying organizations that is taking a concerted approach and have dedicated personnel and resources to security. If not taking into account the smaller providers that don't have an IT person, that has an outside IT staff, and no security personnel mm -hmm. staff. However, it's good to keep in mind what the industry is seeing. So although improvements are being made, observation number two, where there's still a lot of places where improvements needed to be made. Although personnel and financial resources are being dedicated more and more year over year, it is still a barrier. There isn't, there is not enough being done to meet the challenge, right? To meet the challenge of that 15 million records 
that were breached in 2018. Another area for improvement that they found was that by surveying these professionals in the industry, there is not a uniformly adapted security framework. So I'm not using NIST and frameworks from the National Institutes of Science and Technology. Some are using ISO, some are using COVID, right? A certain percentage of them are using uh, the common security framework from High Trust. The High Trust Alliance has made an attempt at looking at all the different security requirements and frameworks that are relevant to healthcare organizations and sort of pull them into a single common security framework. Excellent idea. I think the implementation poses some challenge, primarily due to cost, right? The cost to an organization is to fully leverage the high trust common security framework. It's in the tens of thousands of dollars. What that means is it makes it cost prohibitive for a lot of the smaller providers, which I think is where the bigger challenges are. There's no um, uniform source of receiving cyber threat intelligence, cyber threat information. Right? A lot of these organizations still don't have a formalized program to identify and manage insider threat. And we've seen that as a significant problem. Yes, some of them are doing risk assessment, but they're not doing comprehensive penetration testing on an annual basis. A lot of them don't have sufficient programs in place to address the human element, right? Creating greater training and awareness for their employees and testing them to ensure that they understand and they are putting these security awareness practices into effect. So now that if some improvements are being made, there's still some things that need to be done, but what are these healthcare, IT, and security professionals most concerned about today? And moving forward, breaches, ransomware, as we've seen, there's been more and more focus of energy on medical device security. Um, why? Because we are now depending on, for the delivery of care for patients' health, devices that, are, that have obsolete software on them, insecure software on them. There's a lot of work that the FDA has been doing to apply to uh, these um, uh, medical devices. Uh, but lastly, there's concern amongst these professionals about disruption and failure in other critical infrastructure services. What do I mean by that? The healthcare industry depends on transportation, depends on power, depends on um, telecom uh, services, depends on IT infrastructure, right? Depends on water and sewer. All other industry, all other sectors that we consider critical infrastructure, and if any of those sectors were significantly disrupted, this would have a negative impact on the delivery of care. So these, these um, professionals are concerned about this as well. Now that we've sort of set the table, what needs to be done? Some background. In 2015, Congress passed the Cybersecurity Act. As part of that Cybersecurity Act, there was a section, Section 405D, titled Aligning Healthcare Industry Security Approaches. And out of this act, a task group was created to work with both government and industry to develop a set of unified recommendations for healthcare organizations. The first publication was in December 28 of 2018, titled 
health industry cybersecurity practices managing threats and protecting patients, HICP. And what they did with this publication, they provided a four-part publication. The first was the main document, which was goal was to raise general awareness of security issues, primarily around executives and business decision makers within the industry. Raise general security awareness. Discuss the top threats facing the industry, and there was a general call to action. A general call to action. The next two volumes, the technical volume one and two, discussed the 10 security best practices. Volume one focused on small healthcare organizations. Volume two focused on medium-sized to larger healthcare organizations. They did not take a one-size-fits-all approach, uh, which is a good thing. And the fourth element provided resources and templates to help these security professionals within the industry implement these security best practices within their organizations. So the HICP was a giant step forward because one of the things that we talked about earlier was the fact that there is no unified framework that is being adapted across the industry. This is an attempt to provide that baseline that organizations and security professionals within these organizations can adapt for the better protection of PHI. What are the top five threats that were identified as part of the publication? First was email phishing attacks. Second was ransomware. We heard about ransomware. Third was the loss and theft of equipment or data. Fourth were insider threats. Again, these are common themes within the industry. We are seeing this. Each working group, each survey, you know, each report highlighting these as significant challenge areas. And fifth, and fourth, again, inside a threat, and fifth was medical device security, because there's broad recognition more than before, is that within these organizations, we have network-connected medical, you know, devices that literally have no security controls on them. And these devices are subject to malware, these devices are subject to cyber attack, and we're just now trying to place a focus on that as an issue. So let's look at these threats one at a time. One, phishing email. Now, we should all be familiar with this by now because I'm sure all of us have received numerous phishing email attempts. This is when you, you have an email purporting to be someone that is not, that is encouraging you to respond with certain information or click on the link or download a file or follow you to someone as a means of soliciting, you know, protected information from you or again, malicious software downloaded on your computer and within your network. Okay. Organizations are vulnerable to this because of lack of awareness training amongst the employees and a lack of email security tools that would detect and stop these kinds of, of attacks before they reach the users. What is the impact to the organization, right? Loss of reputation due to a breach, loss of you know, PHI, and most importantly, there's an impact to patient safety. All of these attacks have an impact to patient safety. 
Next, ransomware attack. Ransomware attack is where an attacker gets a malicious piece of software downloaded onto your machine, onto your server within your network that makes your data or your system inaccessible to you, whether by encryption or other means, and demands that you pay a ransom before you can get access to that data. Okay. You know, ransomware bursts onto this onto the scene in a significant way in 2016. It was all the rage in 2017. The trend dips a little bit slowly in 2018, but it is still a significant problem, especially within the healthcare industry. We have a number of clients who reached out to us after they have fallen prey to a ransomware attack. Again, what we are seeing is that healthcare organizations are subject to this because of lack of data backup, not patching their software, don't have endpoint um, you know, security tools to stop these kinds of attacks. And the impact, disruption of service, disruption of care, the expense of you know, recovery, all of the sort of HIPAA security incident requirement cost, and of course, adversely impacting patient care. So loss of data, a test of data, right? These organizations are vulnerable to this because there's a lack of physical security in place. They're not encrypting their data. They're not being trained properly. We have employees taking files home and allowing those files to be you know, seen by folks who are not authorized to do so. We have laptops and mobile uh, devices being lost and stolen. And all of this leads to some of the very same impact that we've been talking about all along, ultimately affecting the delivery of care to patients. Insider threats, from time and time and time again. The example that we saw earlier was again of an employee over a period of 15 years pulling up, accessing files of patients that he had no, no legitimate reason for, for, you know, for doing so. Now, what I didn't mention before was the fact that the, investiga the investigation showed that he had no real malicious intent. However, there are lots of cases where these files have been retrieved and sold or passed on to, to you know, some other party for some nefarious purpose. Organizations are vulnerable to this because of lack of monitoring. They're not monitoring the access of PHI in their electronic healthcare systems. Lack of training, they don't have tools in place to protect against the transfer of this data. And the impact are as we've seen before, financial loss, patient safety, et cetera. The industry is coming to a broad recognition that again, there are more and more devices being executed, I mean, attacks being executed against medical devices. Right? We depend on these, on these devices for the care of our patients. Okay? There's no security monitoring being performed on these devices. These devices have software on them that remain unupdated, unpatched for years. A lot of organizations are using legacy equipment right, that we know are insecure, and all of these can have an adverse impact on patient care. In that HICP um, document or publication, they came up with 10 best practices to combat these major threats, right? Email protection systems, access management, right? Endpoint protection systems, network management, vulnerability 
management, security policies, right? They came up with 10 best practices and sub-practices that would be uh, uh, appropriate for small businesses as well as mid to large sized um, businesses. These backtrack, they did not reinvent the wheel with this. These are recognized security best practices that were derived from a broader security framework called the NIST cybersecurity framework. A little bit of background, the NIST cybersecurity uh, framework was released by NIST in 2014. It consists of 98 best practices for managing security risks. Now, the beauty of what this HICP publication did is say, hey, of these 98 best practices, let's identify the ones there that are most relevant to, to address the threats that are specific to healthcare organizations. However, one of the things that I do not necessarily like is just providing a list and say, hey, do these things and all will be well. I think one half, when one talks about cybersecurity threats, one must always take a life cycle approach. And that's what the NIST cybersecurity framework does. It provides a five function life cycle for managing cybersecurity threats. First, identify. How do you identify within an organization? What your security strategy is? What assets do you need to protect? What data do you need to you know, um, protect? Next, the protect function. How do you put security controls to protect that? Next, if there's a security incident, right? In, though you have security controls in place, do you have the ability to detect that a security incident has occurred? Because we know for a fact that protection is never going to be enough. Things are going to happen. Things are going to get through. How do we detect when that happens? Fourth, do you have the ability to respond to that? And fifth, after you have responded, after you have contained that security incident, can you recover? Because for us, especially within the healthcare space, recovery is key, right? Recovery means getting to the point where we are performing business as usual. And within the healthcare industry, business as usual means delivering patient care. So if you look at that five, that five phase, five function life cycle, and you pull out some of the specific security controls that are identified in them, you will see that they mirror perfectly what is addressed in the HICP document, right? Things like asset management. You have to document and track all PHI and systems that support PHI. You have to perform risk assessment. You have to de de develop a risk management strategy to address the risks that were identified right in your assessment and you have to have some process in place to manage your supply chain HIPAA requires that we implement business associates agreements these business associates agreements are for the purpose of ensuring right that all of our supporters all of our vendors that may have access to phi are securing them are protecting them are maintaining the privacy of that okay when you take it so after we set our security strategy, the next function is now we have to develop security controls. We have to implement security controls to safeguard the PHI, right? Identity management and access control. How do we restrict who has access to it? Sure, you might have an insider within an organization that is inappropriately accessing 
that data for 15 years, but is anyone monitoring how that, that data is being accessed? Was he accessing files that he should have been able to access in the first place? Right? Awareness and training. Going back to our threats, we identified what that one of the vulnerabilities was what? These users aren't being trained. Data security, are we encrypting our data? Right? Laptops are being lost. Mobile devices with PSI on them are being lost. Are they being encrypted? Are we developing policies and procedures within our organizations that mirror right, the compliance requirements of HIPAA and HITECH? Right? Again, all of these harken back to the 10 best practices of the HICP. However, if we look at it from a life cycle approach, we have to ensure that we're doing things within each of these phases. Third, the ability to detect. Again, are you deploying PHI monitoring solutions to see who is accessing PHI, when are they accessing PHI, what are they doing with that access to that PHI? So there are solutions for this. Right? Do you have processes in place and procedures in place to detect when inappropriate access has occurred, either at the system level or even at the network level? And fourth, do we have the capability to respond to detect the event? Do we have an incident response plan? Do we know who to call when? Right? What's our communication uh, strategy for our clients? Right? If it requires breach, if it has specific breach notification requirements, most states have breach notification requirements. Do we have a process in place in case we need to not only notify our customers and our patients, but do we, you know, for us to notify both appropriate government agencies, right? Notify OCR, notify FBI, or notify our partners as well. Do we have these plans in place? These are all very important. Instead, what are our processes in, that we have in place to return to normal care delivery operations, right? Do we have the ability to communicate both internally and externally, right? Do we have, you know, business continuity plans, right? Do we have the ability to incorporate lessons learned from past incidents into this, the future so that we're not experiencing the same types of challenges over and over and over again? If you go back to our list of 10 best practices, you will see that all of those best, 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 best practices relate to things that we see within the broader NIST cybersecurity framework life cycle approach to managing security threats, with one exception. The NIST cybersecurity framework does not address medical device security directly. However, if you are doing a risk assessment within your healthcare organization, and HIPAA requires you to do a risk assessment within your healthcare organization, right? If you're performing your risk assessment, you will be able to identify where PHI is, where PHI is vulnerable, and what controls may or may not be in place to protect that PHI. One of those places will obviously be medical devices. So it is covered if not done so directly. Department of Health and Human Services have some recommended steps of whom to contact in the event of a serious cyber incident, right? The FBI, the U.S. search, HHS, so these are cyber incident reporting, not necessarily HIPAA compliance reporting, right? Because if you have a, a, 
if an incident, and you have to report that to OCR, that is a separate issue, right? But his recommendations are here. And the third bullet here speaks to healthcare-specific indicator sharing. These are public-private coordination center for sharing information about cybersecurity threats within the industry, okay? All healthcare organizations should be part of this effort because the information threat sharing is crucial to being ready for the threats that we have faced out there. A lot of the stats uh, in these documents were, uh, you know, pulled from these various reports. So when you download the slides, you'll be able to go back and reset the meat that is on the bones. Uh, the third uh, bullet here is the health industry cybersecurity practices, managing threats, and protecting patients. So if you follow that link, you can go to all of the documents that I referenced. If you work in the healthcare space, if you have any stewardship or responsibility over patient health information, you need to click on that link, and at the very least, you need to read the main document. You need to get into the very technical um, pieces of volume one and two, but you need to read, 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 read the main document to get a better understanding of threats that your organization is, is facing and what you might want to do about them. So that said, you know, as Catherine mentioned at the beginning, I am with MC Global Tech. Uh, we have been doing this for a very long time. Within the healthcare space, we advise our healthcare um, um, clients on, again, how to better protect and secure PHI. We provide PHI monitoring um, solutions. We provide user awareness training and HIPAA training solutions. We provide, you know, secure backup, uh, you know, solutions and a long list of, of other things that could be of value to you. Uh, here's our contact information. We are based in Washington, D.C. You can see the link to our website, uh, mcgcyber.com. Uh, at the bottom, you have my uh, personal both contact information, email and phone. I would encourage any and all of you to reach out um, to me if you want to follow up on this conversation. I always like these to be a conversation. I do this both in industry and in the classroom because I'm passionate about these issues and I like to communicate uh, with the public about these issues. So um, don't hesitate to you know reach out to me and follow up with me if you have any, any um, questions. Catherine? Thank you so much, William. I appreciate that. Uh, we do have a few questions. Um, the first one is, uh, most healthcare organizations focus on compliance versus security. Will being HIPAA compliant protect an organization from cyber threats? So that's a good question, right? And I get that all the time. HIPAA is really a risk-based framework in itself. The goal of HIPAA is to protect um, the privacy and the security of patient health data, of patient health information. So HIPAA has a lot of risk-based provisions as part of the safeguards. Uh, being HIPAA compliant will, you know, get you HIPAA compliant, uh, but it will also take you a long way to getting you in a better, a stronger security posture to protect the PHI of your data. So as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the slide, there's a difference between compliance and security. However, one of the things that HIPAA requires is that you perform a risk assessment, 
right? A risk assessment to identify where your patient information may be at risk and to put practices in place to mitigate that risk. So the short answer is being compliant is not necessarily being secure, but being compliant will get you a long way, right, to being more secure than you are today. Okay. All right. The next one has to do with ransomware. So in your experience, how have you found companies in the healthcare industry dealing with the threat of ransomware? So what I've come across is really a mixed bag, right? So oftentimes we get contacted with clients who have been victims of ransomware. And upon investigation, you find that they aren't doing the basics. Again, one of the things that I mentioned in previous slide was the fact that most organizations, especially smaller providers, are not doing the basics. They are not backing up their right? Uh, they're not installing security software on their servers and desktop. And they're not training their employees. Those are the three key things that need to be done to combat ransomware. Okay, um, and so it's it's really a mixed bag, and, and and I think that once you have those basics in place, it goes a long way. That even if you are a victim of a ransomware attack, you are able to recover from it in a very timely and cost-effective manner. Okay. Okay. Uh, the next one is uh, how do voluntary frameworks frameworks such as um, NIST, CSF, and HICP um, help if their adoption isn't required by law? So I think that is an excellent question, right? So HIPAA has a set of rules and a set of safeguards that are required by law. However, HIPAA is not prescriptive, right? Voluntary frameworks like the NIST cybersecurity framework and, right, the healthcare um, industry cybersecurity practice, best practices that you know I talked about earlier, provide guidance to these organizations on how they can implement better security controls to meet their compliance needs, right? So because there is no one size fit all, I think it is very difficult to say, hey, I'm going to, to pull out the NIST cybersecurity framework with 98 best practice, you know, requirements and you are all required to implement all of that because that is not the case right each organization is different each organization is different in size and complexity and business model and IT environment and why these voluntary frameworks do is that they provide guidance and if on if an organization chooses on how to leverage them to improve their security the flip side of that coin is that for many organizations, because it's not it's not required, right? They do not take advantage of that, and I think that's a shame. Uh, but you know, that's that's the role that these voluntary frameworks play, and that is precisely the goal of, you know, the 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 cybersecurity requirement that was built into the Cybersecurity Act of 2015, and the 405 Task Group of the Department of Health and Human Services to put out these framework so that healthcare entities, healthcare organizations, if they choose to, and they should choose to, should leverage them to better protect themselves and better protect their patients. Okay. All right. 
Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate this, William. Thank you for coming on and giving us um, this webinar and all this great advice. Do you have any more uh, final thoughts for us or advice that you want to leave with us? So, I mean, I, I, I always try to, you know, to end these by employing you know, the folks that take the time to, you know, to listen and to watch is that, you know, make it your mission to create a culture of security within your within your organization. And one of the ways that you do that is through improving and increasing greater security awareness. There's a lot of solutions to do that. We even have a solution for that where we are engaging, um, you know, learners on a monthly basis at, you know, 15 minutes uh, at a time uh, to ensure that over a period of time, you know, our greatest asset from a cybersecurity perspective are our users, right? We have to train them, we have to make them aware, and it's only by consistency that we're gonna effect the behavior change that we need. So my pardon, my pardon words here is that make it your mission to create a culture of security within your organization, and that started with, with ongoing, relevant, non-intrusive cybersecurity awareness um, I'm training, and that's something that we can help you with. Okay, great advice. Great advice. Okay, so uh, I'd like to tell our attendees to um, please use the contact information on the screen for any further questions. You can also, if you think of them later, you can um, think of, uh, you can send them on to us. We'll forward them on to, uh, to William. Uh, please remember your Paycom and PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. You can also register for any future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us.